Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm JJ Cooper, joined by John Manuel, and and it's a it's a sad moment for us because this is probably our final WBC podcast for for four years. John, I, I'm a little broken up about that. I don't know about you, but if you enjoy the WBC, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to look ahead to 2017 and and just really talk about the uh, the event in general and and what we what we thought about the this version of it in 2013. So John, it is are you at least, yeah, sad? it is at least, uh, it is at least the last one for at least two years. Tim Brosnan, MLB uh, vice president of business said last night that uh, he hinted at qualifiers in two years. And he also had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. He said, when I mentioned, when I asked him about the premier 12, which would be <laughs> the international, which would be the international baseball federations, tournament they want to do with the top 12 qualifying nations from uh the wbc and uh, uh someone from europe that i spoke to yesterday on the condition of anonymity said that the uh, that ibaf was not 100 percent on doing the premier 12 which you know two years ago they talked about it like it was a completely done deal so We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have a tournament in two years or in three or in four, but it, I am bummed that this will be our last uh, uh, our last international baseball podcast for a while, non-Ben Badler edition. Well, it, the interesting thing with that is, is if IBAF doesn't do the, the Premier 12, what's IBAF doing at this point besides, you know, 18 and under? And... Well, that's the pattern, JJ. The pattern that we saw is that USA Baseball used to put national teams together for, for baseball in the United States at all age groups, including in 2000, even when they used professionals in the Olympics. You know, they weren't major leaguers. They were some ex-major leaguers. They were non-25-man roster players, if I recall correctly. So there were guys who were on 40 men, but not 25-man rosters. So Major League Baseball had, you know, the clubs had some input. But Major League Baseball itself did not put the team together. And the United States put together a gold medal winning team. And they went head-to-head with the best teams, and they beat them. And they had Roy Oswalt, and they had Ben Sheets, and they had, you know, uh, Brad Wilkerson. And Doug Doug Mankiewicz. Yeah, but they had guys who were on the way up. Not Mm -hmm. just guys on the way down, but guys on the way up. Then you see, so the next time now, fast forward eight years to the next time the United States played in the Olympics. By this time, there had already been a World Baseball Classic in 06. And by this time, USA Baseball was not part of the U.S. Olympic Committee. It was basically being run, you know, funded primarily from Major League Baseball. And eight years later, they got Steven Strasburg. That was their that was their up and coming player. I mean, their best prospect on that team, who was in the minor leagues, was was who? Jason Donald. I don't even remember anybody else. Nate Shearholtz. <laughs> I mean, the level of prospect was severely diminished. And you look at USA Baseball. And our sources at USA Baseball have basically told us that they had very little input in assembling this roster for the World Baseball Classic. So I expect IBAF, which is a less vibrant organization, less vigorous organization than USA Baseball was, to follow that same trajectory. The more MLB gets involved, the less important IBAF will be in terms of this top-level tournament and any, any top-level tournaments. And so I do think, you know, basically USA Baseball, what they do is they run their high school programs and the college program. And when it comes to professionals, and they're involved in the logistics, but Major League Baseball picks the team. 
And that's what's going to happen to IBAF. IBAF is already in that same path. They are following that same path. So, that, so down the road, they're going to be pretty much just coordinating the amateurs. <clears throat> and that just means, and, and because they've streamlined their amateurs, that means 12U, which they will never be the dominant force in 12 and under baseball. That will be a little league baseball. Right. That brand name is fairly well established and better than IBAF. Uh, 15U, which you know they eliminated 14 and 16 and compressed it into 15, which is fine. But um, you know they had some history at the 16U, a long history of, of championships there, and they've wiped that out. And then 18U, which I think essentially the World Juniors, that's going to wind up being IBAF's showcase event. <laughs> and then you have 21 and under. This college age tournament that nobody's happy about the age cutoff because international countries want a higher age cutoff than 21, and and even the United States wants that. So, yeah, I, I think the main thing here, JJ, is that uh, we realize that IBAF is just uh, not going to be really that involved in senior level tournaments, and that's probably a good thing. That there'll be something lost. We'll lose some of the uh, hey, so and so did really well in this random international tournament two years ago. You know, but uh, so that that special BA knowledge that we have will be lost, but it's really not. Uh, I don't think that's a big loss to, to baseball capital B in general. Well, I, I do think, though, that there is the, the downside of this is <laughs> really for more than anything is it. So what's Cuba going to do? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I, mean, uh, I hadn't thought about it from their pers- perspective. This is what. This is what Cuba does outside of, you know, the Serie Nationale is they play in all these international tournaments. And pretty much we've gone from having multiple international tournaments to now it sounds like, you know, as far as at the top level, having one every four years. Well, I mean, that's that uh, Tim Brosnan did indicate that, uh, you know, of MLB that the intention of the the classic is to have qualifiers that uh, happen much more frequently than that. And so I think they intend to have qualifying tournaments every two years, but certainly Cuba would not be expected to go through qualifying tournaments. And so that's why I think, you know, the IBAF tournament of this premier 12 tournament is important. I think IBAF will have a tournament. I just don't think it will be significant. I think it'll be, I, I, I guess what Cuba does, and, and maybe the things that fill the void a little bit, are the World Port Tournament or Harlem Honkball Week in the Netherlands and these kind of things. And, and maybe that's what, what happens. But you know, the other thing to keep in mind is, um, I think <laughs> we could get political if you wanted to. St- status quo will not remain in Cuba forever. You know, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how long. I mean, we would say now about the Castros for a long time. I mean, that, that's the thing is that we were we could have said this coming he, out of the last the WBC. What's well, that? We we could have said this coming out of the last I'm WBC too. That's true, but there has been a change in the last couple of years. Obviously, with Raul taking over, and you know, Fidel was eighty-five and Raul was eighty, and you know, Hugo Chavez just died. He was a much younger man than those guys. So, at some point, something's going to happen. I think yeah, where Cuba will. So, so, so that will you know, we'll figure that out when we get to it. Um, of course, we could have said that about North Korea a long time ago too. So, I think you're right, but I, I do think Cuba could be the loser in this. Uh, you know, back in the day, they kind of had IBAF do a lot of things that uh, were best. Well, what's best for Cuba, and that's definitely not 
the international scene anymore. Now it's what's best for uh, Major League Baseball. Right. I, I, the reason I just decry it is from the fact that we don't get many chances to see those players outside of, you know, well, two things. We don't get many chances to see those players outside of, you know, playing in their own league. And two, if the number of tournaments that Cuba goes to is cut down, that does also cut down some opportunities for uh, for players to make it to the States. Right. So, no, that's a good point. I, you know, one other thing uh, in the run-up of the tournament, talking to uh, Scott Good, the guy who uh, came up with the IBAF rankings, um, he said one of the recent changes in the IBAF rankings had been that they were going to include international friendlies in the uh, in the rankings. And I was like, international friendlies, you know, what's that? <laughs> there are no international friendlies in international baseball. That's a soccer deal. But he made it sound like that was one thing that IBAP was really trying to encourage teams to do, was just to have, hey, go play your national team against someone else's national team, and it's not a tournament. And so he said in the future, USA Baseball college national team, a series against Japan's college national team, those games would count in the International Baseball Federation rankings. So that's what they're trying to encourage. Again, he just said, look, there is a model for this in, in terms of international sports that works really well. It is soccer's model. Mm -hmm. that, that model produces fans, and that's what we want to do in baseball. And that, that, well, not we, that's what IBAP wants to do. So that could be what fills the void that you're talking about is the Cuban national team just comes to, you know, Maybe there's a, just a Cuban national team comes to the United States and plays a, uh, it's the, you know instead of the California collegiate uh, the California uh, All Stars against the Carolina League All Stars it's the, you know Eastern League All Stars against the Cuban national team, I mean that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? That I'd, would. I'd go, but, uh, I'd go to I, that. I'm, I, I'm, I guess you know I'm one of the few people out there who's going to miss the World Cup and you know well you're one of the few others too but we'll, oh, we'll, we'll move no on doubt. because there's probably not that many of our listeners who are. Uh, we're going to miss that, but you just wrapped up seeing the Dominican Republic finish, you know, finish off really a, a, a pretty dominating run through the World Baseball Classic, undefeated all the way to the to the title. What are I mean? What stood out to you being there last night? What stood out about about this this Dominican Republic you know team? What what really jumped out? And what do you think? Why do you think they uh, they won it all? Well, seeing those guys in person a couple times, I mean, yeah, I don't go to a ton of big league games, and that's uh, as up close and personal as I get to big league talent a lot of times besides spring training or uh, that kind of thing. Uh, to me, first off, is just how, uh, you know, how is Sam Deduno, I know he wasn't facing a big league lineup, but how is Sam Deduno not effective at the big league level? You know, why is he so erratic? Because uh, his stuff is live, uh, you know. So uh, second of all, it definitely made me think, about the research we've done this offseason and how we talked about uh, in the offseason on one of these podcasts about the lack of pitchability of Dominican pitchers and how if you really crunch the numbers, uh, you find that uh, Dominicans in, in the major leagues throw a little bit harder than the average big league pitcher, and they throw more fastballs, and uh, they're more relievers than starters. And that was certainly borne out <coughs> by this Dominican team and lastly, that I should get out of the prognostication business and leave it to you because you nailed the Dominican winning this thing, and you said it was going to be because of their bullpen. So how we didn't lead the podcast off with that, I don't know. Uh, kudos to you, JJ, for the that was a money prediction. Well, thank you. But I did. I mean, and we did see them. 
it, the depth of the bullpen was really what stood out. What we didn't have this year, I do think if we'd have put this Dominican Republic team up against, say, a uh, the two you know the 2006 or 2009 Japanese champions, it'd have been a fascinating game because right. what this tournament lacked overall was ace pitching. There were not many, many slash any real aces kind of on the mound in, in the key games. Yeah, um, the best start, was the best starting performance in Gio Gonzalez? I think it was. I think so, too. I mean, I guess there were a couple of, you know, Wendy Rodriguez. I forgot about that. Yeah. And the game, in the seeding game, Wendy Rod- Rodriguez shut out Puerto Rico for six innings. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the Dominican got about as good starting pitching as they could have expected. They got Wendy for have a six inning shutout uh, performance against Puerto Rico. Um, you know, Edison Volquez was definitely ripe for the taking for the Netherlands the other day. I mean, he walked the first two guys. He walked Simmons and Profar to start off. And you have Bernadina, Ballantine, and Andrew Jones. I mean, it's not a murderer's row, but it is a, a solid. Those are three good hitters. And uh, they only got one run. And uh, that was it. You know, Edison Volquez, who stuff wise is the best Dominican pitcher. And, and in terms of uh, a starting pitcher, and in terms of resume, outside of Johnny Cueto, he probably is the next best guy in the big leagues. It's either Volquez or Wendy Rodriguez. So um, there's just not a deep pool of Dominican starters from which to choose, and they, you know, and they didn't have Cueto. And I, I asked directly to Moises Alou yesterday, and I, you know, the celebration was going on. I saw Moises Alou, and uh, first of all, I had to text Aaron Fit again to let him know because he loved Moises Alou. And second of all, um, just to ask him, I said, when you guys did not get Johnny Cueto, uh, did that make you realize you had to build from the bullpen forward? And he said, well, you know, basically, yeah. He said it in a, in a paragraph form. But, uh, you know, I think they were going to do that anyway, but certainly not having Cueto meant they didn't have an ace. And I, mean, I, I think Gio Gonzalez and R.A. Dickey were the best pitchers in the tournament, starting pitchers in terms of big league career uh, that I, you know, and we, you know, we talked about it. I mean, Venezuela not getting Felix Hernandez brought Venezuela down to the pack with everybody else, and they had bad luck. So, I, I think the Dominican. I, when, I think when you really look back at it, the two biggest games were Puerto Rico upsetting Japan because that was a big upset. I thought Japan choked in a big way in that game, and then the U.S. Dominican game. And I think in the real scope of things, the U.S. Dominican game, the fact that that had the best atmosphere, that it was in Miami and it was a uh, nut house down there. Um, and they had all those big leaguers. I think that was the best game of the tournament. And I don't think there's any shame in the U S losing that game to the Dominican. The shame for the U S was losing to Puerto Rico and Nelson Figueroa the next day. I guess Nelson Figueroa against the U S was really the best start. If you really think about it, um, that was the best starting performance by anybody. So that's, that's a little telling in the 2009 classic. The best starting pitcher was you Darvish in 2006. It was Dice K. In 2013, it was Nelson Figueroa drawing. I'd actually the argue, John. I'd argue that Dice K was still the best in 09. He was the, he was uh, the WBC MVP. MVP. He was the MVP, but yeah, Dar- I guess Darvish was the. Uh, but also, I guess the starters that made the most noise in 09 maybe were Aroldis Chapman and, and you Darvish. Right. Dar- Darvish also pitched out of the bullpen. Um, but the guys who stuck out in your head were, you know, the guy who who's the takeaway from this classic. That's you know, that's the that's the thing. This this classic. In terms of individual performers, JJ, I know who I think my takeaway was as far as the best individual performer or the most, the one who was the most startling, like, wow, that's one I'm going to really remember. 
I mean, Robinson Cano won the MVP, and I think that was fine. Fernando Rodney could have won the MVP, and and he didn't, but he was, you know, eight saves and I mean, seven saves in eight games. That's that's pretty good. I mean, I know it's just saves, but seven that's the saves way they in eight won games it. and finished the eighth game as well. Right. That chart you did was really cool. I mean, I, I know it's just relief pitching over the course of a major league season. I wouldn't argue that. But in a short tournament, especially when the last two games were back to back and, you know, winner go home games or, you know, elimination games, I, I thought that his performance was uh, extremely significant. I mean, I, I thought I thought that <laughs> I thought that Joe Madden probably was watching every one of those and going, please don't bring him in tonight. Please give him a break. Well, I don't know if you saw. I don't know. If, I can't remember if I used this quote or not. But they did not want to. They did not intend to use him last night. Their their plan was Deduno for five, Dotel for two, Casilla for the eighth, Strope for the ninth. That was Tony Pena's plan. But when Dotel went back out for the seventh, between the cold and the rain, uh, Pena told Strope, "You go down there. You might get hot." Uh, I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing that mm-hmm. part. <laughs> Um, and then when Dotel ran into trouble, he brought in Strope and then told Rodney, hey, look, you're going to get the ninth. And Rodney wanted it, but Tony Pena did not intend to use Rodney because I believe, uh, you know, I, he didn't say this, but reading between the lines, I think he told the Rays that they would, and, and that Moises Alou had told teams they would not use pitchers on back to back nights. And that's why last night they used Kelvin Herrera for two innings, past 30 pitches. They burned Kelvin Herrera. Uh, the previous night in the semifinal, but they had enough depth. But you know, to you to stick with big leaguers, they had to go two one one after the starter goes five innings. So, I think if it hadn't been raining, if the conditions had been better, if Samuel Deduno had not had trouble with the the mound, that what uh, Payne would have preferred to do was to send Deduno back out for the sixth, and then he would try. I think. His preference was to not use Fernando Rodney last night because it was the first time they had back-to-back games, and he used Rodney on back-to-back nights. But uh, maybe that magical plantain will uh, keep him healthy for the uh, for the Rays. <laughs> I tried so hard to get a picture of him with the plantain uh, with my iPhone, but he was moving too fast. Even with the uh, waving the plantain around post-game with some Japanese media, so I think I failed. But now you just talked about a little bit a minute ago, but kind of. As you said, losing the U.S. losing to Puerto Rico is really the one that was kind of the the crush. I mean, well, it eliminated them, but it also that was the crushing blow for the U.S. Losing to Nelson Figueroa, who that's blow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, nothing against Figueroa, but this is the guy who got shelled in the AAA championship game last year, yep. uh, and went out and basically shut down the U.S. big league, you know collection of all-stars on you know in the world baseball classic now a guy can have you know nelson figueroa pitched one of the best games he he's pitched which is you know you tell you tip a cap to him at the same time it is fascinating that it just seems like no matter what combination the u.s tries in the world baseball classic it does not come out well yeah i don't know what to say about the u.s team jj because i thought that um obviously they have much better starting pitching depth than the dominican even without all their ace starters that they didn't have, that guys kept talking about, it's still in a must-win game. They had Dickey against Deduno. <laughs> you know, I mean, they should win that one. Plantain no, they should. Not. They should win that game, and they couldn't score more than one run off Sam Deduno. 
And the Dominican bullpen was very good, better than the U.S. bullpen, but not by a lot. First closer, Fernando Rodney, greater than uh, Craig Kimbrell in this tournament. So, um, you know, that, that, that's how the U.S. lost that game. And I don't know. I don't know how you get to, you know, but I thought Ben Badler, I didn't, I didn't want to agree with Ben's point, but he made, he made so many rational points about the U.S. team's failure. It's a six-game sample, and it just didn't come up with a big hit. And it seemed like they had one guy that really, really, really mattered to, and one guy who uh, was able to perform in these moments when other players didn't, and that was David Wright. And I mean, I'm not saying he was the only one to perform because Joe Maurer had a great tournament. Um, you know, just funny on Twitter, so much of the complaining about the U.S. team was about the lineups, uh, you know, Joe Torrey's lineups, which were and pretty weird. They were odd. They were odd. But, you know, Joe Maurer hitting four hole that 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 worked out fine. Joe Maurer was awesome. Right. In the, the tournament. The, the one that Carlos Stan hitting eighth, you know, hitting way low. That that wasn't good. But get, by the last game without uh right in the lineup or the second to last game without right in the lineup, he moved Stanton up a little bit. And then did he not play Stanton in the, in the last game? I forget. No, well, he, I can't, I think he did play him in the last game. Yeah. Cause they had, at that point there were uh, a little injury. So, so Zobris was not a right field option. Cause Zobris was playing third. Yeah. He's playing third base, but it just seemed like even that worked itself out then, by the so end of the game. Zobris tournament. played third. Braun played left. Uh, uh, but Braun, you know, Braun didn't exactly. Oh, no, Braun, Braun did not play. Braun DH'd. Victorino played left, and Maurer caught. That was it. That Victorino was in left. I knew Victorino started the last game, but uh, I guess my my point is even that kind of worked itself out by the end of the tournament. But you know, the U.S. You know, if the U.S. Uh, put it this way, if Joe Torre had told teams, "I'm not going to use your pitcher on back-to-back days," he wouldn't use them. Well, Tony Pena, uh, who's been a big league manager now, still works for a big league team. He may have told the Rays, I'm not going to use, uh, you know, Fernando Rodney on back-to-back days, but he used them because he wanted to win. And, you know, Eric Ibar uh, is a starting shortstop. I'm sure the Angels wanted Eric Ibar to play shortstop more, but he played a lot of DH. Guess what? He's not better than Jose Reyes. So no, uh, he didn't play. That That's He's the DH. thing that stood out to me is that, and we wrote about this in the preview, you know, before the the, the semifinals, Tony Pena managed this to win. Yeah, and did. that was the overriding concern. Yep. The Joe yep. Torrey's yep. overriding concern, he said himself, was to be fair to the players and the teams who whom he was borrowing the players. The next factor was to win. If it, yeah, it, it feels like it almost feels like the U.S. Um, you know needs to have a starting lineup of starters. And who will play every day? And a uh, and all the reserves should be four A guys. You know, I mean, guys who hey, you're here, your your work is going to be in BP, and you're along for the ride. But we're not going to use you. you That's know, what Lurie Garcia was for the. That's right. That's right. And uh, and that's right. Lurie Garcia was along for the ride, and Lorenzo Barcelo was along for the ride, and hey, you know, Moises Sierra was along for the ride. And then Ricardo Nanita got sick and uh, got the flu. I talked to Nanita before the game yesterday. I I didn't get, I didn't use any of the quotes in the gamer, but uh, you know, Ricardo Nanita, uh, he was a 31 year old triple A veteran. He's never been to the big leagues and he was the Dominican starting left fielder. So, I mean, uh, you know, he was exactly, and he was in front of a big league guy in Sierra 
not a, not an everyday big leaguer, obviously not yet. But um, you know, when he got sick, Moisés Sierra was ready for his close up. He had a big game against the Netherlands. He start, you know, was a key figure in that four one rally, and obviously had the big catch diving into the stands. And the funny part about that was Nanita told me that you know he thought he was the one who told Moises Alou, hey, we need more outfielders. Moises Sierra would love to play for this team. I played with him last year in AAA, and we talked about it. So Moises Alou called Moises Sierra and said, hey, you want to play? And Moises Sierra was like, I thought you'd never ask. You know, That was Ricardo Nanita's side of the story. So he kind of wally-pipped himself, and he didn't get to play in the championship game. So he did have a pretty you bad flu. You could, so. You'd rather... <laughs> oh, you'd rather have Moises Sierra, no doubt. I, I, let's try. Let's. I, I would say let's do at least a little bit more because I did want to also. We. I. I do want us to talk a little bit about now that the tournament's over. You know, looking ahead. I mean, one thing is is that anyone who's like, well, is there going to be one in 2017? There is no reason for there not to be a WBC in 2017. Most notably, in Japan, I think for the semifinal game, 50% of all TVs that were turned on were watching the Japan semifinal game. Uh, yeah. Obviously, this is you know quite a big deal in the Dominican, quite a big deal in Puerto Rico. It was a pretty you know it was for baseball a very big deal in the Netherlands. It, again, I, I can't imagine there's any reason not to do this. But w- what stands out to you? You know, it's never going to be a perfect tournament. What's kind of some of the good and what's kind of some of the the bad? And I guess is there any unavoidable bad? Um, well, that's a good way. To, that's a good way to frame the question because I think that's what I'm, how I'm going to write my column. And I haven't thought about my pluses and minuses, but off the top of my head, I think you nailed it as far as the pluses. You know, that is the, the anyone who, yeah, I don't understand why anyone would think there wouldn't be another tournament. That's a very uh, Amerocentric point of view. But, I mean, I, I thought this tournament was a modest success for MLB, despite the fact that they got no breaks, JJ. They got no home team in San Francisco. They got no Korea in San Francisco, which, let's face it, Korea was a big part of a 54,000-person crowd in L.A. a few years ago um, for the 2009 Classic. Um, you know, Those are two of the teams that you would think would drive this tournament attendance-wise, the United States being number one and Korea, I would say, being number three. And they didn't get either of those teams in the, in the semifinals and finals. I talked to some Korean fans who bought their tickets a long time ago, and uh, – that's one of the big. So I'd say one of the losers in this is MLB, but they're also one of the winners from a loser standpoint, or a negative side of the ledger. Let's put it that way. You know, attendance was down at this classic. The MLB keeps telling you attendance was up. That's only if you include the qualifiers. And so if you're comparing it to, if you <laughs> if you're comparing it, that's terrible, isn't it? Let's compare it's, oranges to orangutans. Yeah, it's the plantains. It's it's oranges to plantains is what it is. Uh, this year's the plantain. But uh, if you if you just just focus on the March 2013 versus March 2009, attendance was down two percent. Not a great deal, and certainly understandable. Again, when you say, "Hey, in 2009, the U.S. reached the semifinals, and you had Korea, Japan, in Los Angeles, and Dodger Stadium is bigger, like 13,000 seats bigger than Pac Bell or Pac Bell AT&T." So just, but but as a uh, I forget his last name. Eric sat next to me, Sports Business Journal. I forget his last name, this reporter. Uh, nice guy and dogged on this issue. He was doing math all night. And uh, first off, USA, I mean, MLB said that attendance was up 11%. <laughs> By Eric's math, attendance was up, if you count the qualifiers, 10.457 blah, blah, blah percent. So he thinks... 
They rounded to round. They rounded 10.45 to 10.5 and 10.5 to 11. That's right. So first, that is fuzzy math, A. And B, <laughs> and B, they're including the qualifiers. And don't forget, the qualifiers had Taiwan. Uh, you know, they went crazy for the qualifiers in Chinese Taipei. They had good attendance in Panama for the qualifiers. So uh, I just I think that's that's a negative for MLB. I think it's a negative for the city of San Francisco. Great city. I've had a great time here. Never going to host a World Baseball Classic again. Uh, not if it's in March. Uh, the rain on the championship game was unfortunate. It was cold the other couple of nights. They didn't fill it. And certainly, uh, just just as a host for the WBC, but look, I'm not trying to get in this San Francisco-LA rivalry, but if LA, I don't think LA will ever go this deep in the rivalry, <laughs> but from a World Baseball Classic standpoint, LA greater than San Francisco. So um, I the, the winner, one of the winners is Miami. I think Miami could very well host a future World Baseball Classic semifinals and finals because of the Dome Stadium at Marlins Park. And the Caribbean flavor means the kind of the capital city of the Caribbean in a lot of ways. And uh, I definitely think that you could see uh, the WBC semis and finals in Miami in 2017. Well, this, this is something I was talking a little bit with, with Will Lingo here in the office about, is that the MLB can either get really fortunate or unfortunate with their selection of where the championship's going to be because it all depends on who advances. Because if we'd have seen the 2009 Final Four in Miami, it would not have been nearly as good as it being in L.A. That's possible. I do think think that uh, Japan's going to travel no matter what. I think that Japan has a core of wealthy fans who will go wherever it is. But they don't have a Um, core of of 20,000. No, that's true. The Japanese population in L.A. was certainly significant uh, and a significant part of the turnout, no right. doubt. Whereas and if and, you know, we were talking about, hey, should, should they ever do this eventually if you could work out the travel in, you know, should they play the finals in Japan one year? And the argument against it is, is that what we saw for the first rounds was in the second round was Japan playing a game, great crowd, sell out everything. The other games, yeah, not a whole lot of interest. Honestly, JJ, I almost think some in some ways that instead of traveling it around, uh, that one leg of the whole WBC should be okay. The two pools and then the next pool are all going to be in Japan, and then so half the tournament's going to be in Japan. The other half's going to be at one site in the U.S., whether it's Arizona or Miami, whichever one spring training site. Hey, if you want to try Texas, you know, you want to play some games and where, you know, the, uh, uh, you've got, uh, uh, Minute Maid Park. I was about to call it Enron where Minute Maid Park is the home base and the other games are in Arlington or heck, if you want to use uh, the Sugarland Skeeters ballpark or whatever, um, uh, the Astrodome is still standing. Maybe you can recondition the Astrodome and just play it all either the Astrodome no, or not the Astrodome. I, I'm, I'm kidding. But I mean, my point is, I I don't think you should move. I don't think you should have one pool in Miami and one in Arizona and move guys around. Because I, you know, Puerto Rico overcame it, but I think it was a disadvantage for them to have to go play Saturday, fly across cross country and play the next day. So um, I, I think there's logistical ways that they could definitely improve it. And with the you know with a vast number of spring training sites in Arizona, I mean, I mean this year you would have had a game rained out if you had the whole thing in Arizona. I get it. 
Um, you know, it, there, I don't think there's anything perfect, like you said. Well, no, I mean, the, I, the thing I, that I you have is, simplify is it. I do think you hit on one thing is that with it being in March, I think it is fair to say, you know what? We want it to be somewhere that has a, a, a either a dome or a retractable roof. You I have that in Miami. Sure. You have that in Phoenix. So, yeah. you know, you you don't get the rain outs. You, just... you know, and I actually had a, a, a Twitter follower yesterday ask me about Seattle. <laughs> and they do have a dome. And I don't know what the weather's like in Seattle in March. You have to go ask uh, Connor. I'm, I'm not, I've never been to Seattle. But... I just I just can't see that being the the option because I don't I don't know I, I mean just Seattle is harder to get to than San Francisco or L A even with plane travel it's just harder so to and, me I don't know why they left L A L A was pretty L A worked out so well why would you not go back to L A and 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 the other thing is is that you know we when you talk about timing and all there's it's it's always going to be there is no perfect time to do it I, I think where Correct. people sometimes get too hung up on is this is kind of how we started this off. You, you, this tournament is always going to have problems. Yes. That's unavoidable because as important as the tournament may be to MLB, it'll always be subordinate. And so because of that, it's always going to have problems because for MLB, understandably, for the Japan, understandably, for all these countries, understandably, this is secondary to the season that you play, you know, your full season. That being the case, you're always going to have players who don't want to play because they're getting ready for their season or they're in the middle of their season or they just finished their season. Whenever you play it, you're going to have all these things. What that doesn't take away is, to me, the, the, the one disappointing thing about this WBC is, is I almost felt like that this WBC reached its crest in the second round and then kind of tailed off from there. I, the, 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 the finals games and the semifinals were not as compelling to me. I felt like in the championship game yesterday, the weather obviously was not good, but beyond that, once the Dominican Republic jumped out to a lead, knowing the, the lineup for Puerto Rico and the difficulty they'd have scoring runs, it would have been shocking if they'd have come back and, and won that. You, it, you had, you nailed you had it. two Cinderella's in the, in the semifinals, which is great in some ways, but at the same time, it's almost like better if you have three powers and one Cinderella story. Yeah, I mean, think about Final Fours a lot of times. I mean, that's we're in that March state of mind. I mean, a lot of times the most – it is memorable if you get a team like Butler that almost wins it. But also, let's think about those two years where Butler was in the finals. Those games were 52-50 to 50, uh, when they lost to Duke. Uh, I just died a little bit inside. And then, uh, and then the next year, the game with UConn set basketball back like 30 years. I mean, that was like a, that was a hideous, hideous basketball game that also killed me a little bit inside as a college basketball fan. It was an awful game. So if you want great games, you have to have great teams. You can't just have plucky teams. Mm-hmm. And we did not have great games in San Francisco. I think you absolutely nailed it. To me, the two most memorable games of the tournament – from a John Manuel-centric point of view, you tell me if I'm wrong. Netherlands-Cuba, the 7-6 game where Netherlands eliminated Cuba. Absolutely. That was a, that was a phenomenal baseball game. And U.S.-Dominican because of the atmosphere and the crowd. And uh, and I, I think the other runner-up might be Dominican-Italy. That might be the third most memorable game because of Chris Cola freaking bellow. Right. <laughs> I mean, Chris Cola bellow, but also that was a dramatic game. 
and you look at the whole scope of the tournament, that's the only game where the Dominican trailed by more than one run the whole tournament, JJ. I couldn't believe that when I looked that up yesterday. Only game where they trailed by more than one run the entire tournament. And the Netherlands uh, and Italy, the two European teams, were the only teams that held a lead for more than half an inning over the, the Dominican at any time during the whole tournament. When the U.S. took a lead, one nothing in the bottom of the first, Dominican scored in the top of the second. I forget who the other team was. I guess it was Puerto Rico. Maybe had taken a, a one-run lead on the Dominican, and the Dominican immediately tied the game in its next at-bat. But Italy led from the first inning through the eighth inning, through the until the bottom of the eighth inning against, uh, against the, the Dominican, and for some reason never brought in Jason Grilly. And then... Uh, the Netherlands took that lead in the first inning and led through until the bottom of the fifth, until Diego Mar Markwell ran out of gas. So um, I think that tells you a lot about the Dominican, but I think it also tells you about how dominant they were they were in this tournament. But uh, you know, it tells you that, like you said, the, well, there weren't a ton of competitive. They were close games in this tournament, but the the, the the they were before the semifinals and finals. I I agree. I was let down being here in person. Uh, being very excited about these games. Uh, the Japan-Puerto Rico game, I was on the edge of my seat the whole game. It was a great game. Kept expecting Japan to come back, and they didn't really come back. And uh, so that was the best game of the semifinals and finals, I thought. But uh, the two games involving the Dominican, uh, the Dominican was significantly better than the two Cinderella's that have beat. We didn't get to see the Dominican tested against Japan. And... Uh, you know, it was a little bit of a letdown because the quality of games was solid but not spectacular. And and you didn't have <laughs> the other frustrating thing is is you didn't have that part of the the appeal of of I felt like in '09 was is that we got these breakout performances by young non MLB players who you're fa- fascinated to get to see. Uh, Ross Chapman didn't pitch all that great, but he still you got to see him. You know, you Darvish right. was everything, you know, in many ways that we hope to see, to see those kind of things. I, I don't think also that we're really, you know, we saw that kind of breakout performance. You go, OK, well, we're going to be remembering, you know, that we saw Tanaka here. Well, you know, he was, you know, Kenta Maeda. I mean, he was good. He wasn't. But it wasn't something that went, well, I cannot wait to see if that guy comes to the U.S. We yeah, also- the breakout, the breakout young guy was like uh, Chris Colabella. I mean, seriously, they're. He doesn't really qualify as young, John. I, I love know, him, but he doesn't qualify as young. <laughs> I mean, he, it's crazy. I mean, like, as far as non-major leaguers, who had a better performance than Chris Colabello as a non-major leaguer in this tournament? I mean, none of the Japanese players jumped out at you. Sakamoto at shortstop was a good player. Itoi in center field, good player. Shinosuke Abe, obviously old, you know, 33, 34 years old. Tanaka and Maeda, like you said, but... I mean, the Cuban players, I guess, are the ones who jump out. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. I, I've always thought Alfredo de Spain. I was very glad Ben Badler got to see him in person. I know – I always thought he was when – when he first burst on the scene, I, I heard short right-handed hitter. I thought he was like 5'11", 6 foot. I didn't realize he was 5'9", 5'8", whatever he is. But I still never heard anybody say anything negative about that guy as a player uh, non pimp is home run category of, of critiques. And, uh, he's a phenomenal hitter to watch and a lot of fun. And, you know, I know you and Ben are working on the prospect list, uh, you know, for the post WBC prospect list. And, you know, I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to that one, but there were no, there weren't any of them here. 
you know, outside of Team Japan, uh, there were none of them here because Puerto Rico, the Dominican, uh, there weren't anybody on those teams. And maybe J.O. Barrios. I was really hoping to see J.O. Barrios last night. <laughs> but he's obviously with an affiliated club. But it would have been very exciting. And I, you know, I kind of wish that uh, Edwin Rodriguez had used J.O. Barrios against Japan instead of Rudy Fontanez. He talked about it. Or Randy Fontanez. I think Randy Fontanez is about as far from a prospect as you get. Here you go. Eighth inning game on the line. I'm going to use my South Atlantic League 4.90 ERA relief pitcher. Against uh, I, Team Japan. I did like your tweet where you pointed out and said we did we listed I think thirty five relievers yeah. or something like that. Not thirty five. We couldn't thirty five. Like 15, 15, 17. We lifted fifteen right handed relievers for them and he was not one of them. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason for it. He's not very good. I mean, good for him for making this team. I think good for Puerto Rico. <clears throat> but you know, you you if you put the Dominican you know, somebody tweeted, what would happen if you put the Dominican in the American League East? What, what, what would their, you know, how would their team fare over the course of a major league season? And that lineup would be a, uh, I wouldn't say a pennant, it would be a contender's lineup of 162 games. You know, it's not a great outfield, obviously, but that would be a contending team. But, uh, you know, it, you'd have to give them Johnny Cueto <laughs> to have them contend on the mound. If you had a rotation of Cueto, Rodriguez, Volquez, uh, Deduno as your fourth starter. I don't know who your fifth starter would be. Would that be a pennant-winning team? I don't, I don't think know. a chance. Not a I chance. Don't, I don't think so either. I think it'd be a contender. I think that'd be a contending team if people stayed healthy. I think that'd be a contending team. But it's basically a, a number two starter and a bunch of three fours, and and Deduno is a fifth starter type guy. Although I think he has more than fifth starter stuff. So I should wrap up JJ because I got to go pick right. up my rental car and drive down the coast. But uh, if you had, if you had a final thought, we can indulge a final thought. I, I just, I agree with you. Um, but I, I, I agree with you that, that this kind of, it was a little bit of a letdown at the end. And I think it's unavoidable. Sometimes we have great world series. Sometimes we have world series where you say, eh, no, that That's wasn't right. that compelling. I mean, it just happens that way sometimes. And, I don't think it takes away from the event. I'm looking forward to 2017. I'm looking forward to them eventually saying, yeah, okay, if you finish in the top three, you qualified, you know, and, you know, otherwise you're, you'll go back in the pool. Hopefully they'll say that. But, right. but overall, I did think, you know, congrats to the Dominican Republic. And, and really, I think the story we take out of this more than anything is the Dominican Republic team was the most dominant team we've seen over the course of the two and a half weeks of the WBC that, you know, in three, we've had three WBCs now. No one's come close to what they did as far as just and dominating. The only thing you can argue against them is, is that, you know, they did come through the U S so it's not like they came through an easy path, but their last two games were maybe, I would have loved to have seen them have to face Japan. Uh, I thought that that right. would have been great, but that's the only thing that the Dominican was missing in any terms of legitimacy. If you're looking at it from that standpoint is they didn't go through Cuba they didn't go through Japan. They didn't go through Korea. If you're looking at the world international baseball history, including professionals, in the era of professionals, the teams that have won the tournaments have been Japan with the WBC, Korea with its WBC success and the 2008 Olympics, Cuba winning most tournaments, <laughs> well, used in the past, oh, I... and always contending, and then the U.S. winning some World Cups and being a contender and being the United States. So that's the and they only beat one of those four teams. So that's that will be the knock. I mean, they did beat Venezuela, you know, head to head first game. They crushed Venezuela. 
Um, but three wins against Puerto Rico, you know, uh, Netherlands, Italy. You know, when you're looking at their eight wins, it's, it's three against Puerto Rico, one against Venezuela, one in the United States, one Italy, one Spain, one Netherlands. There's an awful lot of Europe in there, you know. So that would be the only knock. But I think their performance was the best performance, uh, not just in this tournament. I would say that it was the best performance by a team in a WBC. Because if you're going to play, again, I keep going back to College World Series and college baseball. If you're going to play a week schedule, dominate it. Well, their last 44 innings, they gave up two runs. That's domination. So uh, kudos, felicidades, uh, you know, sincaritidia in Greek to the uh, – <laughs> Uh, to the to the Dominican Republic, and uh, I'll go eat some plantains now. Well, John, thanks for joining us. If again, if we had more time, we'd talk about the uh, the the fall of Cuban baseball, but that, I'll have to say we'll save that for 2017. We'll but... just we'll, we'll just we'll just say there uh, a the moment of silence for uh, Yadier Pedroso, the death of their pitcher was... uh, in, in, a, in a, when he got back in a car accident, and uh, that's you know uh, Cuban Cuban baseball. I don't think Cuban baseball is dead. That team had all kinds of talent, but uh, I think saying it's in decline is very fair, and saying that the Dutch are in their heads is 100% fair. Six straight games, the Dutch have beat the Cubans. So uh, for That's the Cubans, amazing. if you ain't if you if for the Cubans, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. So, well, for John Manuel, I'm JJ Cooper. Thanks for the download. We'll uh, switch back to prospects, minors, majors, and all that when the podcast talk. Now that we got the WBC uh, behind us, but but we. You know, we, we hope that a lot of you have enjoyed this WBC talk. It's it's one of those kind of Baseball America type events. And so we, we want to talk about it because really, the, you know, this is its development. It's it's what we love to cover. So, yep. uh, again, thanks for the download, and we will talk to you again soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.